Hello and welcome to Teaching Notes, the podcast of the Music Teachers Association. I'm Patrick Johns, musician, radio producer, music teacher and proud MTA member. And as promised, these podcasts are now weekly to try to keep everyone up to speed with what's going on. As, frankly, things are still changing very quickly and as we all find our feet in this brave new world. Since the last podcast last week, the MTA has been very busy behind the scenes with several meetings taking place via Zoom. These have worked remarkably well and there is clearly an appetite for more. One great positive to come from all this. Lots and lots has been discussed and in this podcast, two of our top Simons, Messrs Toyne and Williamson, will bring you summaries of the very useful meetings from earlier this week about the practicalities of rehearsing our ensembles remotely whilst in lockdown and one-to-one tuition. Also, MTA member Dave Lowe will give us the background to a project he's launched, Make Music on Mondays, as well as telling us about online composition lessons he's been running on YouTube. And of course, I'll be taking a look at the latest off-call announcement made on Friday the 3rd of April, giving us more information about how this year's Year 11 and 13 will be awarded grades in the absence of exams. But first up, let's look at what the MTA has been up to this week. The answer is lots and lots. Hosted by a different MTA member each time, there have been four meetings already in the last week looking at a variety of new challenges that we are suddenly facing. These are all taking place on Zoom and are open to all members. Indeed, the more the merrier and the richer the discussion. The first meeting took place at 3 o'clock on Monday the 30th of March and looked at one of the most important aspects of any music department – the ensembles, the wonderful live music making that we as music teachers oversee and nurture every day of our working lives. And let's be honest, that's where so much of the magic happens, where we see our young musicians really getting music in a way that's less easy in the classroom. But this, of course, has had to stop. So how do we keep the fires burning? Can we keep the fires burning? These were some of the issues we discussed. And here is the MTA president, Simon Toyne, to give you a summary of that discussion. We had a really interesting and fruitful discussion on how we keep our ensembles going while schools are closed. It was very clear from the start that issues of latency mean that live ensemble music making is impossible and that the virtual choirs that we see sprouting up all all around the place are a labour-intensive red herring for us. However, for students to do this themselves using music technology is in fact the ideal project. Um, The importance of meeting up online for all of our ensembles is huge. After all, these are the students who flock to school music departments at every possible opportunity. And that sense of nurturing the community and looking after their well-being is really important. So if we're looking at choirs, warm-up exercises are things that are easily completed at home with conductor guidance. But we then talked about the idea of flipping the usual rehearsal process so that students actually prepare for rehearsals and lessons. There's a thing. Uh, We thought about recording individual performances in advance, sending those over and then discussing them as a group actively developing students' coaching skills thereby. We also talked about how this could be an opportunity for students to explore other performers and other performances, whether in other schools or in the music profession at large. We need to ask the question, generally speaking, how many other choirs or concert bands 
or orchestras have they actually heard? And isn't this a wonderful opportunity for them to hear others perform the same pieces that they have performed and to learn from them? Then we discussed what happens when all of this is over and when we come back to school. It's clear there's going to need to be some huge community event, whether it's a celebration or whether it's just a way of getting us back together. Music is going to play a really important role. And so as soon as we have an understanding of when this will be, then sectional rehearsals and online resources will be vital. Thank you to Simon Toyne there. I should add that these new regular discussions are all being recorded and posted in the MTA staff room on Facebook, so please don't feel excluded if your personal timetable prevents you from joining in the live discussion. And in fact, I'm pleased to say that the MTA staff room Facebook group is growing in activity and really should now become our first place to access information. Tuesday's meeting, again, three o'clock, remember that time because it's going to become regular, looked at vocal and instrumental teaching. Here with a summary of that meeting is Simon Williamson. As I went down in the river to pray. This is a summary of some of the information given at the Vocal and Instrumental Teaching Forum on Tuesday. It is clear that all vocal and instrumental teaching has dramatically changed in the last two weeks. The MU, ISM hubs and schools all give excellent advice about how to teach remotely. The most important message coming from everyone is that safeguarding is of the utmost importance. Indeed, it's just as important as it is when teaching face-to-face. If you're anything like me, you're just becoming aware of programmes like Zoom and Teams. But whatever programme you use, it's important to be clear of your remote teaching policy and communicate it to parents and students. If you work within a school, you must observe their policy. Parents should be fully informed that teaching is happening and given information about appropriate practice relating to it. Teachers or employers may wish to ask parents to sign consent forms and uh, these should be consistently worded. The ISM give clear advice, suggesting setting up a separate Skype account or equivalent for your online teaching and keeping it separate from personal online profiles. Whether the student is below 18, parents or guardians must be involved and you should use their account rather than the pupils to deliver lessons. One clear piece of advice relates to the presence of the parents or guardians and making sure that uh, they are around when the lessons take place. Indeed, I've also seen advice that states uh, for children aged 12 and under, an adult should be present in the room for the duration of the lesson. For children aged 13 to 15, an adult should be present for the start and end of the lesson and be on hand if needed, but not necessarily in the same room. Uh, For young people aged 16 to 18, lessons can be unaccompanied, but perhaps with adults still around. I'm finding that parents want to be connected with the learning and are more than happy to help or or learn about tuning, for example, or be connected with a practice programme or get to know the teaching methodology. In schools... There may be stricter advice given, and in my school, all lessons are required to be recorded. However, all instrumental teachers are using school software and are using a school email address. It is the school's policies, uh, that is their remote learning, uh, the acceptable use policy and the staff code of conduct that provides the underpinning philosophy, as well as any advice given by the DSL. It is important that uh, if you work in multiple schools, 
Uh, each may have a different policy, uh, but each needs to be followed, of course. Schools' instrumental lessons are taking place during the day, say perhaps 8.30 to 6, and students are requesting permission to come out of those, um, these online academic lessons and then rejoining them at the end of their instrumental lesson. The instrumental lesson should be different. Um, students are delighted to be doing something practical, but, uh, but they can be tiring, so I think the instrumental lesson should be varied. Uh, one positive point is that students are almost always on time. They have been invited and delighted to be doing something normal in this uh, extraordinary time. These vocal and instrumental lessons are fantastic, you see. They're fantastic for the students' well-being. Thank you to Simon Williamson for that summary of Tuesday's meeting. Another fascinating meeting took place on Friday the 3rd of April on the topic of the best way forward with academic music, hosted by Don Gilthorpe, and this whole meeting is now available to watch in the staff room. Two more specialist meetings are scheduled for Monday the 6th and Tuesday the 7th of April, both again at 3pm. Monday's meeting is hosted by Emily Crowhurst and will be looking at teaching Key Stage 3 music online. And Tuesday's meeting, hosted by Mark Wilderspin, looks at teaching Key Stage 4 and 5 music online. Both will be available in the MTA staff room shortly after they conclude. Further meetings are planned, so watch this space. 3pm on Mondays and Tuesdays are looking most likely at the moment, though do check the MTA staff room and the regular email bulletins for up-to-the-minute confirmation. I have to say this is really amazing to see everyone coming together as one to work for this common cause. One MTA member who has truly been embracing the world of online teaching, specifically composition, is Dave Lowe. It's not a new thing for him, as you'll hear, but it really seems to have taken off, and having watched a few of his videos, I can see why. Here is Dave to tell us more. I started to make video content for my music students about 12 months ago. Most of the younger classes I teach have 28 or 30 students in each class. In every lesson, I teach musical understanding and theory by applying it. I begin every lesson by modelling a task, and then students have a go themselves, either on their own or in a small group. Giving them the level of support they need all at the same time is challenging, and often I'm unable to have a meaningful conversation with everybody. So I created the videos initially as a way for them to recheck what I'd modelled, almost like having a one-to-one -one helper with them in music. This gave me an opportunity to work more deeply with students needing extra differentiation or encouragement. The videos became very popular with students as they're able to push on independently without needing to wait for the help of the teacher in the room. It also became a good solution for cover lessons, which is never an ideal situation with me being the only music specialist in the school, but my classes could continue their practical music making. As schools closed two weeks ago, it was an obvious choice to move to YouTube to deliver content. Students often tell me the reason they can understand their work confidently is by me showing how I would do it as a musician or composer. The human interaction is very important to them. It's not just about what we do, it's them seeing how we do it, what we're thinking about and why we make each choice. With the videos they can also look back to them if they need to. I've really enjoyed the challenge of some of the YouTube live content. The show is called Make Music on Mondays, and it's every Monday at 12.20. The time is significant, as lots of my students are still trying to stick to their class timetables. 12.20 is time for lunch, so it's really like an online music extracurricular activity. 
So far, we've had challenges to write melodies based on the first thing that you can find to read, or to compose a piece of music made from the sounds of objects that you can find in your house. The challenges are intended to be starting points, and are designed to engage students age 11 to 16, although I've already received some great work from primary age students and adults alike. One of the major positives of sharing my teaching online is that many other people all over the world can benefit. So I also received some lovely feedback from teachers in Texas yesterday to say how much they'd enjoy getting involved. Looking to the future, students tell me they've really enjoyed these composition challenges so far, but they like more starting points to help them to get deeper into theory and also to help them to develop their technical ability when playing their instruments. So as Easter holidays start this weekend, I'll present the programme on Monday with a new series of technical music challenges to inspire everyone to get playing. I'd like everyone of all ages to have a go and post their best effort online. This is open to literally anybody who has an instrument at home, from top-end professionals to students who had a keyboard for Christmas three years ago and it's still in the garage because they don't use it. I'm hoping we can spread the word widely and make it competitive over the time that we're all distanced to get us playing our instruments at a technical level that will inspire others. If you can post your best effort on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram, or all three, even better, and tag hashtag quickfire music challenge, that would be amazing. The first challenge will launch on Monday at 12.20. If you're interested in being involved or would like to see more, uh, visit my Twitter, uh, which is Dave Low Music, or search for hashtag make music on Mondays. That was Dave Lowe, an inspiration for us all. Now, on Friday the 3rd of April, Ofqual finally made its announcement as to how this year's Year 11s and 13s would be awarded their grades. So many unanswered questions have been flying around since we learnt exams were to be cancelled, so this announcement was certainly keenly anticipated. The first thing I'd say is, do go and read the document yourself. It's on the government website and is called, unambiguously, How GCSEs, AS and A-Levels Will Be Awarded in Summer 2020. As with last week's government announcement, I thought it would be useful to give you the headlines and some food for thought. If you look at any of the Facebook groups, discussion is rife with teachers asking and answering questions, trying to work out the practicalities of what must now happen for our young musicians. Please forgive me for just reading these extracts from the document. To break it down and analyse it, never mind drawing and announcing definitive conclusions, is something that is a job for the many, not the few, or even the one, i.e. me. But I'm sure there will be rigorous debate over the next few weeks. So, the document says, For this summer's awards, schools and colleges are being asked to provide centre assessment grades for their students. These should be fair, objective and carefully considered judgments of the grades schools and colleges believe their students would have been most likely to achieve if they had sat their exams, and they should take into account the full range of available evidence. Exam boards will be contacting schools and other exam centres after Easter, asking them to submit by a deadline that will be no earlier than the 29th of May 2020, the following. A centre assessment grade for every student in each of their subjects, that is, the grade they would be most likely to have achieved if they had sat their exams and completed any non-exam assessment. Judgment should balance different sources of evidence, such as classwork, bookwork, participation in performances in subjects such as music, drama or PE, any non-exam assessment, whether or not complete, the results of any assignments or mock exams, 
any other record of student performance over the course of study. We will also be asked to submit the rank order of students within each grade for each subject. For example, for all those students with the centre assessment of grade 5 in GCSE Maths, a rank order where one is the most secure, highest attaining student, and so on. This information will be used in the statistical standardisation of centres' judgments, allowing fine-tuning of the standard applied across all schools and colleges. To make sure that grades are as fair as possible across schools and colleges, exam boards will put all centre assessment grades through a process of standardisation using a model being developed with Ofqual. We will consult on the principles of our model shortly, but we expect it will look at evidence such as the expected national outcomes for this year's students, the prior attainment of students at each school and college, at cohort, not individual level, and the results of the school or college in recent years. It will not change the rank order of students within each centre, nor will it assume that the distribution of grades in each subject or centre should be the same. The process will also recognise the past performance of schools and colleges. However, if grading judgments in some schools and colleges appear to be more severe or generous than others, exam boards will adjust the grades of some or all of those students upwards or downwards accordingly. Schools and colleges have been told that they must not share their centre assessment grades with students, parents or carers under any circumstances until after final results are issued. This is to protect the integrity of centre's judgments and to avoid anyone feeling under pressure to submit a grade that is not supported by the evidence. Since the final grades for some or all students in the centre could be different from those submitted, it also helps to manage students' expectations. We're working hard to get results out as soon as possible. Results won't be delayed after the dates they're expected in August and ideally will be released a little earlier so students can have the certainty they need. So there you go, a lot to take in. Now the NEU has also released its own summary of some of the key points in the new guidance, which include... For reasons of equality, reliability and realistic workload, expectations on members, grading judgments should be based on work done before schools and colleges shut down and as such there is no need to set new work for the purposes of determining grades. Teachers across the country should be encouraged to make judgments holistically and not to simply report the result of mock exams. Education professionals are best placed to know the context of their setting and how students work within that. As such, the range of sources of evidence that educators could use to make these judgments should not be limited. Which of these sources to use or not use is a decision for education professionals. Schools, colleges and education professionals should not be expected to submit student work or other evidence to exam boards. So, a lot to take in and consider. It's nice that our judgment and knowledge of our students is being listened to and trusted, and, to be honest, it's hard to see any other path open to Ofqual, given the circumstances. I'm sure the questions will keep flying, and as the dust settles, a clearer picture will emerge. One thing's for sure, though, this is new territory for us all, and so standing together has never been more important. Which is one of the glories of the Music Teachers Association, and members' words and actions over the last few weeks have shown what an excellent and august body the MTA is, and why we're right to take pride in our membership. Just before I sign off, here's a quick reminder of what the MTA is currently doing. Every Friday, Keith Ayling sends out the e-bulletin with headlines of the week's news and notices for forthcoming events such as the Zoom discussions mentioned earlier. Plus, there's a message from the MTA president, Simon Toyne. 
And as I've mentioned a few times, there's the MTA Staff Room group on Facebook. It would be great to see some further lively discussion on there. I know that Gareth Hemmings is actively sowing the seeds of a project to link some of our music departments together for when the world returns to normal. And other members such as Dave Lowe and Jonathan Bungard are great at sharing ideas and generating discussion. It's a great place to be, so do have a look and join in. And if you're not already a member of the MTA, now is the perfect time to join. Full information is available at musicteachers.org. And if you're keen to take part in a future podcast, and we are always happy to hear from you, all you need to do is email me, Patrick Johns, at the following email address, media at musicteachers.org. Thank you for listening to Teaching Notes, the Music Teachers Association podcast. As it's Easter next weekend, there won't be a podcast, but be sure to catch the next one the following week. Until then, happy Easter and goodbye. Goodbye.